am Chris, and this is my Writing Table podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair and let's begin. Alison Rose Greenberg is an author and screenwriter who lives in Atlanta, but is quick to say she was born in New York City. While attending the University of Southern California, Allison took her first screenwriting class and fell head over heels. A journey from screenwriting led to marketing jobs before coming full circle back to her first love. Allison speaks fluent rom-com, lives for 90s WB dramas, cries to Taylor Swift, and is a proud single mom to her two incredible kids, two cats, and one poorly trained dog. Maybe Once, Maybe Twice is her latest novel. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. You fell in love with writing at USC. Tell us about that. I took my first screenwriting class, I believe it was sophomore year. And for me, it felt like breathing. It was just an instantaneous love. I said, I want to do this forever. So it wasn't prose that I fell in love with first. It was really the art of screenwriting. It made me want to be a writer. And it made me feel like I was a writer. I think that was also important. But was it about screenwriting that you liked so well? I grew up on 90s WB. So for me, character development started by watching Buffy slay vampires and Dawson's heart getting broken and, you know, bad boy Pacey ruining it all. And for me, I just, I love the idea of being able to continually tell a story week after week where there was a beginning, middle and end, but not for the entirety of someone's character arc. So that's how Mm -hmm. storytelling for me became such a big deal, but in the sort of cinematic sense. It was sort of writing for TV that first sparked for me and made me fall in love with storytelling, I guess. How do you think that like that 90s genre influenced you to write rom-coms? I think there's a magic that it's really hard to find now that those 90s and early 2000s rom-coms had. I fell in love with anything where there was a will they, won't they at the center and TV shows that weren't even about romance, but had that will they, won't they, I would gravitate towards them. Or rom-coms are about the will they, won't they. You know, Notting Hill and basically anything with Hugh Grant, 10 Things I Hate (laughs) About You, even Clueless. I feel like when Harry met Sally, they formed me. The banter, the sexual chemistry. I want to tell those stories. I want to dive into those feelings. And I'm not sure what it says about me or that was the most exciting thing for me as, you know, probably a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. It really made me want to rewatch something. I wasn't going to go and rewatch The Shawshank Redemption. I want to go rewatch Clueless. I want I want to rewatch She's the Man. Any of these, even the smallest little rom-coms, I'm like, I would rewatch that any day to make myself feel better. And then that started to become the stories I wanted to tell, or at least the center of the stories I wanted to tell. My mother-in-law used to say, rest in peace, Bonnie. She used to say something about it's not done until you put the ribbon on it. You need to put a ribbon on it. And I feel like those movies put the ribbon on it and they're satisfying. Like a candy bar, you got all the layers and they didn't leave anything behind. I don't write rom-coms, but I remember when I started writing, I told my husband, I want to write I loved the show. I still love it. Hope Floats. And I said, I want to yeah. write books that make people feel like I feel when I finish watching that. Exactly. And how long did it take for you to create your first novel, Bad Luck Bridesmaid? It was such a backwards way of doing anything. <laughs> I wrote it really as a short story first. And the short story kept getting longer and longer to the point where it was 35 pages. And I was halfway there at like what would be the story's midpoint. And I just emailed my agents. I'm like, I am so sorry. I think I'm accidentally writing a book. I don't know what's happening. And that only took a few weeks. It was just really fast. And then they said, 
keep going. And it was, I think the first draft of that was Wildfire. It may have been four months, which did not happen for the second book, by the way. So they say there's like the sophomore slump for writers where the first one pours out of them and the next one is overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. But there was no overthinking. It was really fast. And this was while doing screenplay stuff too, but it just poured out of me. And then of course there's you know, revisions, which, but that first draft, which is always nothing that you want to show anyone you love, but that first draft was probably four months. And then the revisions were in the middle of the heart of COVID. I want to say May, 2020, Mm -hmm. and my kids were home, homeschooled and a few months. So it wasn't the longest process. It was just time-wise, it was strange. It was, it was like COVID-y. It was, there was, there was a lot of pauses in the world Um, and the writing pause as well. I've never done screenwriting. What are revisions like in comparison? Screenplay revisions could take me a week, depending on if it's like a whole new story that's going to take way longer. But if it's just dialogue or if it's we're missing this and this, it can be fast. Revisions in a book, no. It's months. I mean, the revisions for maybe once, maybe twice was longer, I think, than my original writing of the book. I believe that to be true. It was months and months. You get that, you know, 15 pages of notes from your editor and you just want to cry versus notes from a producer and you could sort of sit down and bang them out. If screenplays are nimble, you know, I don't have to tell you what a room smells like. I don't have to tell you how I feel when you kiss me. I don't have to describe all these things that you really have to describe in a book. And when a book starts to change, all of these things start to change and you have to make those changes. So Revisions on a book. I would take revisions out of screenplay any day over revisions on a book. I didn't even think about the things like, you know, how things taste and smell. And I guess that's why they're so compact. What you read on one page is a minute of airtime. So tell me about your latest novel, maybe once, maybe twice. It is, I would say it's more of a romance and a rom-com. I have, okay. we just got finished uh, copies, which is cover. so exciting. Just so exciting. Fun when those show up. It's so fun. It's the best unboxing. I'm like, there's no one, you could send me the nicest jewelry ever, but I'd much rather have my finished book in a box at my doorstep. But also you could send me jewelry. That's nice too. (laughs) This is like an edgy romantic drama about the struggling singer songwriter, Maggie Vine. And over the course of her life, she has told two different men to show up and marry her when she turns 35. And they both, in some sort of ways or fashion show up, but it spans two decades of her life. So we see her teenage romance uh, with this now massive Hollywood hunk, Asher, but we see their teenage romance in summer camp. We see her 20s pining after this rock and roll hedge funder, Garrett. We see her struggle with her music career through her 20s and 30s. And so there's sort of three timelines we play with the present day at 35 and those teenage years and those years in her 20s. It's really these Years of change in a woman's life. Decision years, if you will. Sounds really interesting and really fun. Yeah. Where did you get the idea? A couple places. I started writing a completely different book, which I ended up throwing out <laughs> after 40 pages. I had As we do. <laughs> as we do, right? I was like, this is hard. I just, when something is like you're dragging something through the mud, for me at least, sometimes it's just not the right thing you should be doing. Okay. And maybe it's a story for later, but it felt like that. And I had a meeting and this great guy, he said, I know I've been toying with something. I think you'd be great for this, but it was, I don't know. It's just the idea that this guy tells two women that they should marry him and they both show up and he's in his twenties. And I remember thinking that's not interesting to me because men get all the decisions, right? They're 
They don't have like biology holding them at gunpoint in their, especially their twenties, but not even their thirties or forties. They get choices. You know, woman, we have society and biology telling us we need to find a mate. We need to procreate. We need to do all these things by a certain age. So I was like, I just want to gender flip that. I want it to be a woman. I want her to be in her mid thirties where, you know, her career hasn't shaken out the way she's wanted it to, but she sort of has to choose family or career and doesn't know how to make that sacrifice. And then these two guys show up in their own ways. It was a little nugget of a line. I'm like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to flip it. And I'm going to make that my novel. Taking it down one road. It's like shoes that don't fit. And finally you just say, screw it. I can't do this. But then you find that one little thread and that's what takes you to the next project. Any research on the music industry? How'd that go? I did a lot of research on the music industry. I had two sides of that. One was the business side, researching how it works. I've been completely fascinated with singer-songwriters forever, but it was sort of, how does it work? The other side was, how do you write lyrics? Because I wrote music for the book, so I read and consumed everything I could and gave myself classes on how to do that. And then the other side was reading some memoirs and just some books about singer-songwriters like Brandy Carlisle's book, Broken Horses, was a, was a great one. <laughs> I love her. Tell me what that is again. It's it's called Broken Horses. It missed me. I've got to find that. I yeah, love it was really good. And I used to love Ryan Adams, this kind of indie singer-songwriter. And there was a big article in the New York Times on him. It was, I think it was 2018, 2019, about how he had sort of abused his power with a lot of up-and-coming female artists in the industry. Mm. And it struck me and it stayed with me for a long time. And I really took that article to heart when writing the book. I don't want to give anything the book away, but that was also a big piece of just consuming information, reading the articles about other women in that similar situation. Being an artist, like a singer in your mid-30s and starting out in your mid-30s or trying to make it still in your mid-30s is very hard for a woman. You've sort of peaked in your 20s -hmm. in that career, and it can be very hard to come onto the scene or to try to get onto the scene in your mid-30s. So I just read a bunch of articles about that too. And reading about Stevie Nicks and yeah, I read her biography, which was it's Gold Dust Woman, I believe is the name, which was great. And those were helpful. So there was a lot of just consuming information, but about a topic that I loved. So it didn't necessarily feel like research. It was great though. Novelists will do exercises with poetry to boil down imagery, to hone their craft. When I'm having trouble, I'm kind of in a pickle, I will turn on music. And it seems like songwriters are like the ultimate storytellers in a different way. And it has to be boiled down to that, like whatever, three minute song. And you get this whole beautiful story in three minutes. And it's really a lesson for us as novelists to double down on the imagery because the imagery is what puts you in that story. Do you listen to music while you're writing? Yes. Like I cannot have silence. It's usually Taylor Swift. I usually have Taylor Swift just cycling through as I write or kind of 90s music that I grew up with. Anything that I know really well. I don't like Mm -hmm. anything new because it will distract me, but I cannot write to silence. I don't know how people do it. I do it accidentally sometimes if I get a good idea and keep going and then realize, wait, this room is silent. I feel like music is super helpful. It creates this mood for me. Anything I write, I'll create a playlist for it. So I'm in a vibe. I'm in a mood when I write. And as you said, the imagery, it's like a warm hug. And it's also nice to edit with different music too. So you make sure, you know, your whole book doesn't have this feeling of Taylor Swift's reputation when you're done with it. (laughs) Not that that's a bad thing, but totally might not be right. So yeah, I have to write to music. Have to. I love all kinds of music, but Willie Nelson has my heart. Oh, he's the best. (laughs) He is a gem. 
again, it goes back to the imagery. Whether you like country music or not, so many of those uh, songwriters really nail it. It's not always the honky-tonk woman and the cowboy. Dolly Parton wrote, I Will Always Love You, in like, you know, a couple minutes too, I think. And Jolene, in the same day, which is a very humbling thing to think about, by the way, to write two of the best songs ever in one day. (laughs) Like, what have I done? I got three pages of a manuscript done. Yeah. I met this lovely woman at Pickleball maybe a year or two ago, and she introduced herself. Her name's Jolene. And I was like, oh, I like the song. Ha, ha, ha. And then like a couple of weeks later, I heard the song. It's a well-written song. Jolene is a, not a nice girl. No. And so <laughs> I felt so bad. And I saw her. And I was like, I am so sorry, because... That might not have come off. She's like, yeah, she's not a nice girl. And I was like, it's really funny. She's my friend now. My friend Jolene is a very nice girl. Well, so many people have named their dogs Jolene after that song, too. And I'm like, you're not listening, but okay. That works. It's still a great name. You might want to get her nice and spayed before you send her out. Oh, my God. Lock her up. You said that second novel was more challenging. Specifically, what were the challenges that you faced? The beginning, I was having a lot of trouble figuring out how to present these two great loves in a way where the book felt present. And finally, I got notes back from my editor and she was like, I think you're going to have to do past tense, present tense, past. I had been fighting it tooth and nail and I knew it to be true. And so I just created this massive Excel sheet that if I ever look at it again, I will probably have PTSD and vomit and cry. And I never want to see it again, but it has every scene that I needed to happen in the book on there, but how they all would align. This is going to be chapter one. And this is when she's 35 and here she's 14 here and she's this. And there's a pivotal scene in the book. I needed these two things to happen within the same chapters of each other mm-hmm. in the past and the present. I needed them to collide in a certain place. So I was working my way up and down. I probably threw away half of the first draft of the novel to write the mm-hmm. second and added a whole nother I, hundred. Th- I don't know how many words it was. It felt like a whole new book and it was treacherous. But once I got going, it felt good. If that makes any sense. Harder it is when you get to the other side, you yeah. know you did the right thing. It's just harder. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I was unblocked. I said, okay, this is yeah. what I needed to do. And I felt blocked writing that first draft. So blocked, not creatively, but just in how I was telling the story. It didn't sit right. And so this was awesome. The revisions though were a lot, but they were exciting, if that makes sense. But this one was hard and I'm glad it was hard because it's great. There's a lot of tears on the pages. Allison Wynne Scotch is The Rewind, which was written oh. with dual POV and three different timelines, which I asked her, how did you do that? It was a I lot. I haven't ventured into dual POVs yet, but I can imagine that plus multiple timelines mm. would be. No, no, thank you. Well, I think that was like her 10th book. So yeah, that's know, amazing. Pace yourself. I say no, thank you. And that's probably what I'm going to end up doing for my next book, I'm sure. <laughs> so what's next for you? Well, first, I would really like the writer strike to end. So oh, that would be yes. phenomenal. That would be nice to have that part of my career back as well. <laughs> so while waiting on that, you know, I just have my head down and I'm writing, just started cracking book number three. So toying with two different ideas, threw one out, did research for the one that I'm now doing. And I've finally, finally started actually writing it, which has been awesome. It's fun when you know what the story is that you're going to tell. Yes, for the most part, I know. And I'll surprise myself, I'm sure. I'm sure, (laughs) but I don't think I'm throwing this one out. This one's going to be good. Are you reading anything right now? I'm reading Carly Simon's memoir, actually, right now. Doing a lot of memoirs right now for my next book. I don't usually read memoirs. I'm much more a fiction person, much more romance reader, too. So it's awesome. I'm only three chapters in. It's a big book. I didn't know that her dad was 
Simon of Simon and Schuster. I had yeah. no idea. So it's, this, this book is blowing my mind and she's one of the best songwriters. I would be interested to know when she gets into the part about her marriage to James Taylor. I'm not into the juicy stuff yet. Songwriters. <laughs> wow. I mean, the two of them. Wow. Talk about a duo. Exactly. Uh, I just, yeah. just learned she had a stutter and really? part of overcoming her stutter or e- even just momentarily was learning to sing. It's fascinating. Writing. It could be a really scary career to be in. It often Very is. scary right now. <laughs> Very yeah. scary right now for so many reasons, you know, AI right. and chat, you know, everything's uh, going to take us over and replace us, even though yeah. it won't. What is it that keeps you writing? I love it. It's like breathing to me. I went years without it and something was desperately missing in my life, even though I'm a single mom to two kids. I have a very full life. I have great friends. I have a great boyfriend. And when I wasn't writing, it was really missing for me. And and I will never put my metaphorical pen down. I will never put my laptop down, my keyboard down <laughs> again. I feel dissatisfied with myself when I haven't had a good writing day. I don't beat myself up too badly because we can have bad writing weeks, even months. Mm-hmm. And especially with the strike, I know me and a lot of writers who are just, you know, writing our own specs, we're doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard to be creative right now. Same as the pandemic when you didn't see a future, it was really hard mm-hmm. for a lot of creatives and a lot of people when we're you're creative for your writer, usually in your feels about things. And it was hard not to feel motivated, but hard to see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. When you finish mm-hmm. something, you want to hand it to somebody. Nobody thought that they were going to buy books. And then the book sales went up. Yeah. It's like, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it ended up being like the most fruitful time in my career was was the pandemic. But it was very bizarre. It's another story. I, I think what keeps me writing is just sort of this ache when I'm not. This feeling mm-hmm. of, and the excitement I get. Like, I write a great page. I write a great 10 pages. There's this excitement that no other part of my life can fill. Not my children, not my love life, not my dog, not my cats. It's a different kind of excitement. It's like, I don't know, I did something for myself, for someone else eventually, but for myself that I would want to read. And that feels good. An adrenaline rush for me. About this dog, this poorly trained dog. <laughs> yeah, we got to hear about here. it. He's laying on the ground right now. What kind of he's dog so is he? He's so cute. He's oh, a Cavalier King, King Charles. Charles Spaniel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his, his name? His name is... Hampton. Cute. He's the sweetest. He just every now and then likes to, you know, make a little poop in the dining room to remind us. What that, is that? that I, I, I have know. the same thing. My, I, don't I don't I don't do the same thing. Pardon no, me. That's, my that Teddy. Teddy is almost three and miniature weenie dog. And oh, oh my God. I love him. But when will you stop doing that? Never. The answer is never. He's 10. Never. It, I just know oh, once ten. Oh, yeah, I just know once a week I'm going to see that. And it just At is what it is. small, right? They're small. They're compact. It's fine. It's My fine. last dog was a 160-pound Great Dane. So, you know, I have to put it in perspective. My boyfriend has a pit mix who is like 55 pounds. And I'm just not used to a big dog. I'm not. Oh, he, and he's a I baby. Love big dogs. He's like scared of my cat he's like he's so sweet like he couldn't harm a fly but i'd like to be able to pick up my animals it feels very important to me to be able to pick them up and move them somewhere big ones don't know that they're not little oh that's my big girl she would try to sit in my lap she was so cool do you have any advice for new writers one is keep writing another is find somebody you really trust to read your first drafts that to me i think is very important i think Mm -hmm. i think if you do something in a vacuum it's not always great so have yeah. somebody you really trust look at that first draft before you send it to someone important, even a couple people. I think that's really good because our first drafts are usually crap, but oh, they're yeah. usually the start of something wonderful. So don't beat yourself up 
when you get notes on them and be really open to notes. Our ego is so tied into our work when you're creative as it should be. But that first draft, you have to shed a little bit of the ego, be willing to receive feedback, constructive criticism and take it. Stand up for the things you know to be right. But if there's an inch of you that's like, that might be right, explore it. That was a big thing for me was was knowing that the first draft wasn't going to ever be my best of anything. Screenplay, novel, whatever it was. And it wasn't necessarily a reflection on what the final work will be and how good or great it will be. But also just keep writing. You can say you want to be a writer. You can say you want to do this thing. Just sit down and do it. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Learn more at allisonrosegreenberg.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.